Dan and Cody, this is very exciting for me. Starting a new podcast offshoot of the one you've started. And we had a really nice conversation a few months ago. And you all invited me to maybe think about starting a new podcast under the collective of yours all and really excited about it. So I just want to start this podcast by thanking you both and genuinely how grateful I am for this opportunity and to be able to work with you all. Really excited about it. Yeah, no doubt. I feel really excited as well. Yeah. This has been uh, kind of in the making, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And gratitude would be the word I would pick too. We're actually grateful that you actually continued emailing us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and surprised <laughs> and surprised yeah. grateful gratitude and surprises i think our experience on our end so we're so happy to have you so yeah what are we here for today well we're going to be starting a, a chat about the upcoming podcast that we're launching again under the umbrella that you all have started it's going to be called crossing the chasm mm. and this sort of uh, came about after you all interviewed me and then we started meeting semi-regularly throwing the frisbee in the park <laughs> Maybe we should chat about that, actually. Oh, I, that's a thing. Dan, do you yeah. have anything to say about the Frisbee <laughs> oh, in the park? Absolutely, I do. So me, I like I have such renowned expertise in throwing Frisbee. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I invited you all to throw Frisbee in the park. Mm-hmm. And every week, you, I just throw these beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, what's a good word for it? Throws? <laughs> yeah, throws. That's a good word for it. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful spins. Yeah. Beautiful. What's 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 the vernacular here? Well, it's surprising that your vernacular matches your skill in frisbee. <laughs> look, look. I experienced myself as throwing you all these beautiful tosses or throws or mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> flips or whatever they're called, and uh, <laughs> and you guys just throwing frisbee right into the ground all over the park. <laughs> yeah. Is that how you experienced that time, Brian? You know, I, I remember it slightly differently. Yeah. Actually. And how about you? Yeah. I get this experience where my watch starts beeping at me and it's like, hey, it looks like you're doing a workout. Do you want to record this? I'm like, I just tell the watch, like, nah, Dan's just throwing the frisbee again. Dan's just doing frisbee flips again. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I have an occasional errant throw yeah. here and there. <clears throat> occasional is definitely the majority. It's probably about 99. <laughs> it's getting better. Initially, though. Is it? <laughs> I mean, is it? Yeah. Man, so, there, was, there was one where you smoked me with the frisbee, like right in my shin. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of fun. Uh, that made me day. Yeah. So just to be clear, yeah, I'm terrible at throwing frisbee, and these two have tolerated <laughs> throwing frisbee with me back and forth. That's a yeah. good word. Would you, yeah, tolerated. Yeah, tolerated, yeah. Yeah. The but, frisbee throwing is relatively secondary. It's mostly get to getting together and chatting and, yeah, spending some time in a nice afternoon in a Flagstaff park. Oh, which we've had great afternoons for that, right? Mm-hmm. So okay. when we release this, it'll probably be cold. We won't be able to be playing frisbee, but uh, it's been glorious the last little bit, right? Really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you're saying, Frisbee was secondary is primarily we get together and we get to connect and ask each other how we're doing. And um, we've had some fun conversations around music and I think movies is on deck for next time we get together. And it's been really good to get to know you. And with that, we've also talked a lot about content for this series. Absolutely. Which I'm super excited about. We had a really good conversation, uh, you know, in the introduction meetings over Frisbee around what this was going to be, what we were going to call it, what we were going to do. Again, which stems from the, you know, the time we had at the first interview, which after the interview ended, we talked uh, like half an hour. There's a lot there, obviously. And so we started chatting about this. And the idea is really to think about our society, our well-being, what's going on contemporarily, the future, 
And so we talked about those things. And one of, part of the thing that came out for me was how do we talk about these things in which we can actually connect with others in ways that they can understand the information, feel connected to it, grow from it potentially? How can you know, personally I inter- interact with people who I'm interviewing for myself to grow, to get people's stories out? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the intention. So it's very broad, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking about narrowing it a bit and what we were going to call it. And again, you two are podcast experts. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you use that term loosely when you said that. Right. Just, the, the audience yeah. started laughing here. Yeah. The studio audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I obviously had some rudimentary ideas, but ran them by you. And in particular, what are we going to call this? Hmm. So what are we gonna what are we gonna name it? What is it gonna mean? Put it out there. We had some banter back and forth, and it turned out we got some good ideas that came from Cody. And Cody, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about how you came up with the name, which is I think fantastic and perfect for the show. Yeah, thank you. You know, for me, it was uh, I think I was cleaning the garage. You know, it's always I feel like that's when uh, let the mind wander sort of thing. And really, where it comes from for me was this idea. I actually, use this metaphor in therapy a lot is we call it the reality gap. And you can think of on one side of a canyon or on one side of a, like a chasm, for instance, that there's your values. And those are the things that you want to live up to and the things that you want to connect with. And then on the other side is reality. And so we talk about the bigger the gap between reality and your values, the more suffering there is. So for me, it was the idea that, yeah, we need to cross this chasm. We've kind of created a massive gap there between what's important. I think of connection to self, connection to others, connection to the natural world, human well-being, and uh, the way that things have been structured have created a really, really large gap. Absolutely. So we need to cross that chasm. So crossing the chasm was born, and yeah. it perfectly aligns with what my interests are, what we had talked about in the interview, what we're talking about in, at the park. <clears throat> and you also, we, you came up with that and, and put forward a couple of ideas for images, and that also, I think, is really fantastic. We went back and forth on and had some conversation about, and yeah, I'd love to hear you all, your thoughts about the image we chose and the possibilities yeah we're going with the dark one right <laughs> yeah okay I, <laughs> I so that's my that. vote i yeah. think different from you two yeah I, um that one i think you lean that direction i too, did yeah Brian. yeah for me that one i liked all of them these images that you created cody but um the image that we go with and you can find that on the website um to see it uh for me i think the contrast in colors is a little bit more than the others. Um, and then there's this um, beam of light and it's at the bottom of the chasm. Um, and f- it's just striking. And so I actually, maybe even in an artistic way, maybe I can't even articulate it. My I was drawn to it because it's clearly a chasm that exists and the light somehow inspires hope. And it's more on a nuanced level than something I can actually verbalize. And, you know, as I look at the way that things are, I do hold this hope that things can be different than what they are. And that's where even talking about the name crossing is just as important in the name as the word chasm. So it's like naming what is, but also that there's this hope or something that will help us to get across that or to change that. Yeah. So that was my vote on the image, the one that we selected. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I think what you're speaking to down there too is the idea of crossing represents action mm-hmm. and that's forward movement and that sort of thing. And I think with the, with the image we chose is there's the idea with the sun is it's at the bottom of the image. I think that can be interpreted as the sun is setting and we have to do this like time is running out kind of thing. Or I think you could also see that as the sun is rising. And so this is kind of like a dawn of a new day and that we want to create a society that emphasizes and promotes or structure in a way that produces well-being. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And connection in particular. Yeah. So I love the image. I mean, there are a couple others. They all had kind of a Southwest theme. One was the Colorado River in different ways. So that's also, yeah, I think it's nice to have that imagery that reflects kind of the landscape figuratively and literally here in the Southwest and where we're living is also really nice. Yeah. So yeah, thanks. Thanks again for coming up with that. That deliberation was really exciting, and I came up with something that perfectly matched what I envisioned for this, even though I couldn't come up with it myself. So that was fantastic. <laughs> well, so well, let's hit the pause <laughs> button real quick. <laughs> You're passively given too much credit over this direction. So this all the cool thing about it, and I don't want you to run away from this just out of your own humility. Because the cool thing about it was it was a collective dialogue. So Cody literally came up with the words crossing the chasm. But that came from us actually spending time together, sharing ideas with one another, being in dialogue. And so it was this um, like synergistic collective uh, result, which I think in process represents at by and large what we're trying to get at with this sub-series of crossing the chasm, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I love the word collective. I, I love the, the imagery of us sitting together and thinking about it and over yeah. time coming up with something. Yeah. Just, it's, it, it reflects, again, how at least I am interested in overcoming the chasm or chasms in, in a small way and then reflecting on that in this larger scope. Yeah. yeah. It also brings up the image of me throwing the Frisbee directly into Cody's shins. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which which is created a chasm on my shin, (laughs) (laughs) which is forever just a benefit in my life. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I feel that same way. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the name and the image. Yeah. So that I think is a fantastic start. And then what, you know, how do we characterize what it all means? And so really what we need to I think discuss now is the chasm imagery and what that means Mm -hmm. and represents and our thoughts on it. Yeah, and I think this comes out of like my, my own personal thinking is, as I mentioned on the show when we all interviewed me, you know, a lot we have a lot of problems in society. A lot of people are not doing well. I personally feel disconnected. A lot of people I know feel disconnected. We have such a long ways to go to meet the challenges around climate change and environmental issues, social justice. Mm. So the chasm has different elements, and one of the one of the animating features of the, my thinking comes from our work, basically, which is how have we organized our society? What do we focus on and why? What are the outcomes of all of that? And then how do we reflect on it? So for me and the work we're doing, and in just in general, my interactions, you know, thinking about how I am in society, it's really important to think about what we're doing. And so most of our society is based on economic growth. That's the basis we're told time and time again that that's how we're going to have betterment. Um, you know, everyone's going to get what they need. And yet we've had economic growth for a long time and we're heading towards really severe climate change. We already have issues with well-being. So how do we reconcile those and what what is the chasms? We've been talking about this a little bit and, and characterizing it in different ways. We could do it narrowly around particular issues or have a broad global kind of perspective. 
And I think, again, that conversation is really useful to help clarify what we mean by this, to set the stage for this this podcast, but also, again, just to think about well-being more broadly in society. Yeah, yeah. So the one thing sticks out in what you're saying there is that um, I think it's good whenever you do something in life and you have an idea that the thing you're doing is meant to achieve this outcome. So, for example, if a focus on uh, growth, economic growth in particular, that's so that everyone can have sustained needs, um, shelter, uh, food, uh, resources that they need to better themselves and better their lives. So if we say our goal is to increase GDP and to increase economic wealth collectively so that everyone can have these things, that's such an aspirational and great value, right? And what you're saying here is we actually need to step back now and look, if that was our goal, has that been the outcome? Like, is that the result? And I think to go further, you're, you're suggesting here, I think what you're suggesting is the actual chasm is that that outcome isn't currently what's represented. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the evidence is overwhelming. If you look at any indicator, there's just <laughs> no question about it. You know, people yeah. aren't doing well generally. We're leading towards ecological collapse and on any metric we're not doing well. So the, the argument is we need to have more economic gain and expansion for well-being, but we've had that and it's not working. So the evidence is overwhelming. So then, yeah, how do we think about that chasm and how do we reconcile it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it may be helpful to even understand what exactly is the chasm. And so you threw out a couple of examples there of like any metric. So you throw out examples of metric and I'd be curious, I don't know if, you're willing to engage this or not, but what are examples of metrics in more detail that represent what we mean when we use the word chasm in that title? And then I, I, I don't know if you all are okay with this, but I think it'd be cool then to also understand like what are anecdotal examples? Mm-hmm. What are ways that you actually see this playing out? So yeah, do you have any like metrics we could start with or yeah, what, what is that chasm or what are evidences of that chasm? Those yeah. Chasms. So we can we could look at it in different ways. So if you look at let's just say the environment broadly, which is a difficult term because it's so nebulous, but let's just think about, you know, the oceans, for example. If you look at the number of species or population numbers of fish, for example, they're all in deep decline. If you look at um, deforestation expanding. You know, if you look at um, just in general insects, if you look, this is really striking, is that we're creating a society in which we don't have as many insects anymore because we're basically changing habitat into subdivisions or whatever that is. Um, the point is we don't have as many insects and insects are the bit, but you know, the foundation for ecological systems in many ways and pollination and so forth. So all of those metrics are really clear. So on the environment side, and climate change is the most obvious one in terms of increasing carbon emissions and so forth. If you look at well-being as well, um, that's also problematic. So we have, again, a lot more wealth, but fewer people enjoying that wealth. Mm -hmm. There was a really interesting study that came out pre-COVID that said that 40% of adults in the U.S. couldn't make a $400 emergency expense. Mm -hmm. You You know, we have all this material wealth, but, but economic insecurity. And if you look at the statistics in terms of suicide rates, the highest they've ever been, if you look at anxiety and depression rates, which you all know a lot about off the charts. So at the same time, we have all this economic gain and wealth, people are feeling insecure and more importantly, not flourishing. That's really the issue. And so for me, all of those collectively 
are really in the context of ecological and human flourishing. Are we flourishing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that should be the metric, not how much money we have. And again, there's just the evidence is totally overwhelming that we're not flourishing ecologically or socially, but we have all this money. Yeah. I was thinking the metric that we are crushing it on is GDP. Like that keeps expanding. Yes. That thing just keeps going higher and higher. And the thing I hear you saying is that as that goes higher, actually what we're experiencing is both environmental and social. Um, not well. Like things are going down in those categories. Yeah. I'd wonder like with the ocean, is there any evidence that the ocean is getting more healthy? No. Right. <laughs> there's no evidence. Not only is it, is it you know, there's more carbon in the ocean because the ocean is one of the main repositories for atmospheric carbon. But... Basically, the species are being overfished. So there was a study that came out that said there's going to be mm. more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050. Mm. Wow. It's just, it's really striking. All of these things are really striking. And so, again, why are we doing that? There's yeah. no reason to do that necessarily. And the point is, again, all of our sort of indicators and metrics are around one thing, which is expanding economic growth, with the argument that makes us all better off. But that's just not the case. And so what we should do instead, I think, is actually promote well-being yeah. and then figure out an economic system that can meet those goals. It does uh, promotes human flourishing, environmental, yes, exactly. natural world flourishing. Yeah. So, so when you talk about this, for me, to define the chasm, it goes back to what Cody was saying in reference to the analogy that he uses. And on one side of the canyon is essentially like our values and aspirations, our well-being for people, or quality of living, and on the other one is ways that we're really living, and that that gap seems to be widening. Everyone says, like, we, we want me and the people that I care about to feel well in the world. We want the planet to thrive and feel well in the world. And yet, um, yeah, everything suggests that there's a gap there and that that gap continues to widen. Exactly. Yeah. I think anecdotally, I don't know for you all, but if we if we look at like social well-being and individual well-being on one spectrum and planetary thriving on another spectrum, um, I think, well, how does this play out? Like, what does this really look like in my day-to-day life? And I think it, on the planetary spectrum, I think, well, I've lived here in Flagstaff for 10 years now. And that's a really short time compared to many people that have lived here. And yet in those first few winters, the consistency and amount of snow seemed considerably more just in that short span of time than now. And numbers bear that out as well. But anecdotally, I know there are a few opportunities for me to go sledding with my kids, um, for me to hang out in the snow. Um, And every year it seems like that happens. And it seems like there's like a a short period of quality snowstorms. Um, but by and large, the entire winter seems to have less precipitation. Yeah. Is that like an example of it? Is that a real time example of that? Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many examples of that in different contexts. I did a research study with farmers and quite conservative and, and opposed to climate change said it didn't happen. But then we asked like, what's happening on your farm? Mm-hmm. You know, all these major changes, which inevitably led them to do different things. So they had to buy bigger machinery because the window of time to get onto the land was different. So even, I mean, what we're seeing is that climate change is happening in a way that many people are experiencing in different ways. 
And that's really interesting because the sort of political discussion is very different than the experience people have of mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. though that's another chasm <laughs> in mm-hmm. terms of the evidence versus people's perceptions and so forth. And mm-hmm. so your example is exactly right. There, there are major changes and people are noticing that. Mm-hmm. Whether birds are coming back like they used to or when they came back, for example. Like my grandmother is talking about all kinds of changes mm-hmm. in her experience. She's lived in the same place for 90 years totally different uh, experience in many ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In her view, it's not climate change, which is fine, yeah. but the point is people are experiencing things in their day-to-day world that is profound in many ways. So she doesn't see the same species coming back, or what does she notice specifically? Like the timing, the number, yeah. the variation. Wow. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah, it's just based on lived experience. Yeah, lived experience, exactly. Yeah. yeah, for sure. You know, to go back to one of the images that we didn't use, right, was a southwestern canyon and a huge bathtub ring. And what that shows is that western snowpack. When we're not getting the snowpack, that lake just continues to go down and down and down. And then we're continuing to use more and more water. So, like, yeah, again, with the climate changing, we're experiencing pretty detrimental effects that are visually, like, yeah, you can go to the lake right now and see massive bathtub, Lake Mead or Lake Powell, wherever that might be. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the interesting thing is it's happening frequently enough now where many people can identify climate change. But then the chasm also exists. We have all this scientific evidence, and yet as a society, we're making almost no progress to addressing this existential threat to society. Mm-hmm. So again, it's, it's, we can think about chasms in different ways. Why is it that we have these problems that we can't overcome? And that goes with climate change. It goes with personal well-being and flourishing, mm-hmm. community flourishing. <laughs> There's so many examples, and I love the gap analogy. We're standing on one side, isolation, environmental concerns, and on the other side, you know, we could envision something quite different, that there could be flourishing. But how do we get there? How do we bridge the gap? And I'm, we're hoping that this podcast and the, the sort of guests we have can speak to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 One thing that I hear you mentioning, this would be another anecdote that would kind of speak to our GDP as being this primary thing, right, is um, our experience of opening the business, I would think. And so because we open a business in America, there's you know, these are the sets of hoops you got to jump through and we have to borrow money. Right. And so we go to a bank and we say, here's our business plan. The bank wants to know how am I getting paid back? What's that interest going to look like? Da, 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 those kinds of things. And there's not really much of a consideration. I might be wrong, but, uh, our goal is the things that we're talking about with our values and to promote human health and to provide counseling and psychology services to help. And that didn't really seem to be much of an indicator of like, oh, this is a business that we would like to pump a little more money into or be more lenient with or see you flourish. It was kind of like we could have brought, I don't know, missiles, bullets, whatever. And it was just kind of like, okay, so how are we going to get repaid? How are we going to make sure that the, the ends meet and that kind of thing on our end? Mm. Yeah, mm. that's interesting. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, so I would yeah. think in a system that would uh, like prioritize or value human health and maybe... Uh, if there's a business that were to open again, this in a capitalism system, right? Or in capitalistic system, um, in what ways would be, would businesses that are geared toward promoting connection or human health or that sort of thing kind of be prioritized? Yeah. Well, they may have just been skeptical or cynical of us because of us. Um, (laughs) This is Beavis and Butthead walking in my office. This just does not look right. But no, I think your point's well made because look at where we, uh, governmental funding. So... Uh, look at where funding is prioritized. Yeah. yeah. So like education, healthcare, those things don't get a lot of funding comparatively. 
Um, so I think that would be represented in what you're sharing there. Yeah. That's one thought I have. I don't know if, yeah. uh, if that would fall in the realm or how you would think about that, Brian. Absolutely. I mean, part of this is people look at issues in the perspective of the society they're in, but imagine a situation in which we had different kinds of spending so mm-hmm. that we didn't have to go to a bank. We had community support, for example. Yeah, come on. Imagine a society in which we didn't have so many, so many mental health issues to begin with because the society is structured differently that's focused on people's well-being. So, I mean, I love the anecdote because it really is so symptomatic of what we're talking about, which is a society that's based on money yeah. that then leads to all these negative environmental and social outcomes that are arbitrary they're not necessary there's no there's nothing about society that would have to get to that end point mm-hmm. and can we envision something different to overcome again that chasm mm-hmm. yeah before we jump to that other end point so to to define what we mean in terms of the aspirations and the values that we'd that that feel like the gap is widening from um i think it'd be good also to go into that spectrum of like social and well-being more specifically like um people feeling disconnected you said um you know, obviously Cody and I see the massive rates of, I mean, like 150% plus increases of prevalence rates for anxiety and depression, particularly amongst late adolescents and young adults, which are the next generation, um, is scary. Um, so those are numbers, but then on a personal level, I know for me, people I know in my life, family members I know in my life, um, yeah, it seems like people talk about feeling disconnected at times or feeling um, anxious, depressed. Um, I go back to limited connection. I think anxiety and depression are words that we put on it and they're words that are meant to define this thing that happens and it actually looks a little different for every single person and feels a little different for every single person, but it's these unpleasant feelings of, I think, feeling not connected. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And for me, like that's the beauty of this whole endeavor I get to hang out with you two occasionally and I'm going to be able to interview people. And for me, what's really symptomatic of our society that's problematic is just disconnection or lack of connection. There was just a big BBC study that came out that talked about loneliness, adolescents, middle-aged men, you know, are the worst in terms of lonely, yeah. being lonely. Yeah. But I, I feel, I mean, I, I experience this regularly as an instructor at a university students are totally struggling. Now that's a generalization, not every single student, but way beyond when I started 10 years ago. I mean, it's not even comparable. Mm. So something's going on. Mm -hmm. Mm. What do you see? What does that look like? And yeah, I don't know how comfortable you feel specifying that or not. I wouldn't want you to feel like we were asking a question about a specific student or something, but what do you see collectively? Yeah, no, there's, there's enough students that you couldn't possibly (laughs) go back to one, unfortunately. I mean, it's everything across the board. It's, um, the stress of having to pay for higher education and that's overwhelming. Many of the students have to work. I mean, I did it when I was a student as well, and that can be quite stressful. Many students, especially because I teach classes on environment and society and so forth, problems, they're overwhelmed. So a lot of students just like crying, just absolutely crying about yeah. the state of the world, their place in it, not seeing any way forward, not knowing what they should do. Why are they getting an education? What's the point of it all? Mm-hmm. There's also a number of students. I think just the stress of all of that is leading to interpersonal interactions that are really difficult. So many people are not being treated well on top of everything else. 
they feel, yeah, like they're not important um, in our society. I mean, just all those things. And, and like literally crying in my office, can't come to class, you know, dropping out of school. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. Yeah. Different yeah. in a 10 year span. Way. I mean, I can't even compare it. When I started 10 years ago, you know, students have issues. I had issues when I was an undergraduate. You know, it's not, it's just the way it is. But nothing, nothing like what I'm seeing now. The worst case 10 years ago is like the norm now and then there are students that are way beyond that that just are dealing with things that you can't even imagine and they're you know they're not they're not they don't have the skills and that's what they say basically they don't know how to deal with all of this so again it's i think for me personally it's in part we've created this society around money being the most important thing each individual person is responsible for themselves and that leads to people feeling isolated and disconnected when we know that historically humans are fundamentally social creatures and can only flourish when we have social safety nets, connections, and the evidence there is was quite overwhelming as well. The people who live the longest, who, are the, who describe themselves as the happiest, the primary key component is social connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking um, that seems to match the experience of sitting with people in therapy. Um, like that's yeah. what I think we sit and hear the same thing, just increase isolation. It's that idea of people just feeling super burnt out, trying to make ends meet in this society. We've normalized somehow working two or three jobs and going to school. And yeah, that's just not going to be good for a human nervous system at well, all. Well, on top of it, I think the isolation piece is key here too, because like, uh, the, the way we're going is that you can order anything at home. You can Mm. get services at home. And so when I'm feeling tired from trying to fulfill like a 40 plus hour work week, um, then I go home and I'm feeling tired from that. I'd rather order the thing to come in rather than go out and have just those brief small exchanges with someone at the grocery store or, uh, yeah, going and having a conversation about the product. Um, if it's a good match for what you're wanting, um, something like that all of that's being removed. And so you can basically operate in this isolative, uh, isolative space um, separate from everyone while also continuing to consume and contribute by going to your job to contribute to the GDP. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, a perfect linkage because why are we doing that? We're told that it's for convenience and so forth, but really when you get right down to it, it's for profit and social media companies Big businesses, they're all flourishing at the moment uh, because of that, in part. And at the same time, again, all these indicators showcase that we're not flourishing ecologically and socially. Yeah, I. Uh, it brings up two thoughts for me. The first being that um, I, I think about this example oftentimes. Like I remember uh, I had a family member talking to me about when smartphones were on the horizon and this person had read about them. And this person was telling me, oh, it's going to be amazing. Like you can actually hold, like you'll be able to schedule anything. You'll be able to talk to anyone to check your email. You'll be able to do all of these things in real time, which will then give you more time because you'll be able to take care of odds and ends here and there, which will free up more time uh, that you don't have to go into your office to take care of that odd odd or end thing. And, and so that was the idea. And I actually think early on, I mean, this was like, what, 15 years ago, a long time ago. Um, 
the idea sounded that way. Sound like, oh yeah, if you have this thing that can perform all these functions that you need to be sitting in front of a computer for most of the time, and you actually have it in the palm of your hand, oh, logically that could lead to more time. And then everyone with more time could use that time to connect with one another or do hobbies and interests and improve their well-being. And and so now, if that's the idea, that's the concept, and that's how it's marketed. 15 years later, if you step back and look at it and you ask anyone that owns a smartphone, do you feel like you've, you have more time or less time since that technology was created? I know for me, I would say I feel correlatively I have less time. Like in that span of time, I feel like I have less. Um, and I think most people would answer that way. I don't know how you guys would answer that. But it's like stepping back and looking, even if that was a values-based idea, did it actually produce that thing? Yeah. The second thing that it brings up for me, sorry to drone on for you too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is what our listeners love. (laughs) Um, Is I had a conversation with uh, some of my family members that are early adults, and they were talking about amongst their peers and for themselves, it is stifling to think about how they're going to be able to um, eventually maybe buy a house, move from renting to buying a house right. or, uh, to be able to sustain their family. And when I listened to him, I thought to myself, man, I had some of these worries, but the way they're describing this is qualitatively differently. It's more intense, their fear and more specific. And they have all these lived examples of people around them that aren't making it, which then, interjects into that fear and they're not making it because the gap seems to be widening. Absolutely. Yeah. The way I, I, you know, when I think of the first thing that you were saying about mm-hmm. phones, right. Is, um, it's that very idea of like, okay, we're going to create this thing. We have this idea that this is going to help in this way and it's going to help on these values. And then it seems to me as like, what's the thing that takes that way off course. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea is like, Oh, we can find out how to make money off of this. Mm-hmm. And so now everyone's addicted to their phone mm-hmm. because of, uh, we can make pe- money off people's attention, basically, right? So the social media platforms get a hold of that. They understand how it would keep people on there. And then, uh, yeah, I think if you were to look back before smartphones became a thing and look at it now, it's probably like, wow, this is, didn't see this coming, mm-hmm. I would think. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have. I was an early adult at that point, though. So, like, yeah. I didn't know much about anything of anything. <laughs> just just cigarettes and punk rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So do these fit? Are these in alignment with what you're referencing? Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. When you were talking about the economics, that was so interesting because John Maynard Keynes famously, he was an economist during the Great Depression and the Roosevelt administration. He wrote this famous paper basically saying in a hundred years, people will only work 10 hours a week. We'll have so much productivity. There won't be any need to work basically. And Cody, you just mentioned it. Like we don't, we don't use that productivity to make well-being, we make to make money, and so all of those gains have just been put into more production. People are working longer. Your phone example, you know, th- there's really devastating evidence about this. Like people who take fewer vacations now because they're working more, take their phone with them the whole time, so they're not even on vacation half mm-hmm. the time. So mm-hmm. it's like it's infiltrated in a way that we can't get out of. And that just has led to a situation where people are not doing well. And this is directly related to climate change as well, because all of that infrastructure basically is designed to expand the economy, which has all kinds of environmental consequences, including increasing carbon emissions. So this seems kind of esoteric, but I think the benefit of this discussion is that the linkages we're trying to make in this podcast aren't clear to most people. It's not something we talk about precisely because the whole society is focused on economic growth from the very beginning, 
and our worldviews, like you're going, you're talking about going to the bank to get funding for this. It's mm. all in that broad context. So everybody's lived reality is in that context. Mm-hmm. How can we step back and think about this differently? What do we need to do to overcome these obstacles? And ultimately, what can we do to be flourishing, a flourishing society? That's really the question. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, this is where you're talking about the crossing word yes. instead of the chasm word. Right. So we've, we've, uh, really brought our listeners in with the doom and gloom. <laughs> Which was the intent, right? Yeah. Just bring made, the heavy. <laughs> if you made it this far, we've reached the bottom of the chasm. <laughs> and now we're going to make our way back out of the chasm. So, right. yeah, I'd wonder if we were to define that more connected way forward, what that would look like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, part of this is, for me, the exciting part about this is, it's. I think it's important to understand the the challenges we face and the realities we face. If we don't, we're just being naive and there's no point. I think a lot of our conversations in the public sphere really don't get at the roots of what's going on. Yeah. And that I think basically just broadens the chasm in some ways. So I think it's important to be honest, mm-hmm. but then really what do people think about this? How are they thinking about this in ways that we could reshape all of this in ways that are not Pollyannish and naive, but like what could we do differently what are things people are already doing? And not just to be hopeful necessarily, but like what can we actually do tangibly to start engaging these things? And for me personally, the bedrock foundation of all of this is connection again. How, what can we do in society that actually creates connection? And again, that's why I love this this whole collective, this podcast collective. You know, we're sitting in this room together. We're, we're, we're having these conversations. They're going to go someplace. That's to me what's so exciting about it. And I really love the idea of connecting with listeners mm-hmm. yeah. and creating a community around that. Mm-hmm. Not that this would be the most amazing podcast, but, but you know, nevertheless, it could be something that's quite interesting and creates different kinds of connections that don't exist currently mm-hmm. that then put us on this pathway for doing something different. Yeah, it's a way of being that whatever scale ends up having an effect on is based on trying to cross or connect uh, rather than just live in the system and keep going without looking at it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if we hadn't started these dialogues, we wouldn't have had those glorious opportunities for Frisbee. Yeah. 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 Take a Frisbee to the shin. That's important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like, I really appreciate what you're saying, Brian, as far as like trying to bring people into conversation or trying to reach people with conversation so that even though this podcast might go somewhere that it might create more discussion around society, how society Mm -hmm. is structured, Mm -hmm. ideas of how people can connect better. You, you, um, in our interview with you, you had mentioned an idea. We didn't go too far into it. I'd be curious if you'd be willing to unpack it a little bit. The idea of mutual aid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's that's emerging in different places in response to these factors, which are climate change is out of control, people are feeling isolated, and to address all of these things collectively because they're not separate issues. That's really the issue. It's really they're all intertwined and totally connected. And so mutual aid is, is happening in different places. And to me, that's what's so exciting, mm-hmm. is that rather than getting overwhelmed feeling doomsday, some people are using that to move forward in a way to actually create connection and to help people. And that's taking place with the Extinction Rebellion movement in the UK, for example. Mm -hmm. There's some going on here in Flagstaff. When you look at what happened in COVID, for example, some people in in response to that really tried to figure out how can I create connection and help people. So no matter what the circumstances, 
what's what's sort of materializing is in people's mind a need to actually connect and that i don't know how that would play out necessarily but i'm mm-hmm. I have my own ideas there's just so many people in our society who need help either financially or they need help they're hurt or they're elderly and they need their you know they need their leaves raked or something or they need something else, you know, they need to be taken somewhere and they need groceries brought to them. Like those kinds of things are animating people to do things proactively. That's really positive. And it's intended not to solve climate change, for example, but to do what you can in your, in your local community to help somebody. Now, the question is, how can we actually not sort of constrain it or control it, but maybe can we grow it and create more linkages and ultimately in ways that make everybody involved feel better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I hear you describing that, it sounds like it's very community level, mm-hmm, community definitely. based. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another interesting question about all of this. Where do we insert ourselves? Because if you're talking about climate change, one of the arguments is we have to have this like, global response. Mm. What could I possibly do here in Flagstaff? Mm. So there's, there's questions about that. But I guess for me personally, I think what's really exciting is trying to connect locally at your local level and then build coalitions that then ultimately affect things going on at the global scale. Mm. And again, that's very nebulous, but I think that sure. conceptually, I think is really what I'm interested in. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to people about that and their own perceptions of that. Yeah. I mean, a question that comes to my mind is like, you know, affecting things on a more broad scale and building coalitions to do so. Is that like, how would you describe, like, is that affecting government policy change? Is that... A, I guess I'm wondering what that even looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, my own view is that we have this notion we just need to like vote differently and get different leaders. But I think the leadership actually reflects society. And so we have mm. to have a society that's more engaged, that has a more, much more clarity on their role in enacting change. And so it is, I think, for me, starting to figure out how people can get connected at a local level how those local entities can coalesce and ultimately how can we change the sort of perceptions and direction of what we believe our country to be, our, our you know, the globe to be in terms of what our yeah. interests are, what our outcomes, what, what outcomes want to be, our priorities, and then ultimately that totally reshaping society such that we have a different governmental structure, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that's also very nebulous, but I think at this point it's hard not to be nebulous because we don't have a blueprint to enact any of that. And so yeah. for me, it really does start with connection. Mm. And that's the starting point. Yeah, there's like a vision component. And the thing that I hear you describing is the, the first step in enacting this vision or bringing this vision to life would be connection. Absolutely. And that exists on a community level and that's very relational. Yeah. And I think, I think the, another way to say that basically is I don't have any idea of how this all might materialize or how it might play out, sure. but I am totally convinced that when people get together and start connecting with one another really thinking about what they want, where they are, where they want to go, and acting on that, who knows where it could go? Mm -hmm. We can't predict it. And so for me, the exciting part is, and the hopeful part is, yeah, let's just work on that first, get people together, connected, and demand things different in society that's going to increase well-being, and Mm -hmm. then see where it goes. Yeah, I think demand it, but also just act it. So I think it can be on a scale where you start to demand it and you look to get engaged uh, politically is the like most obvious example to try and influence policy or the direction things go in your local community. But I also think to live that way, and that's where you talk about us talking together. I know since we started those dialogues, I have more clarity of what my experience is. And it's not that um, I wasn't 
aware of what felt like a gap, but I didn't have the words for it. I didn't have um, as much clarity as I do now. And so out of that has come clarity. What excites me too is when we talk about it, is it can seem vague and nebulous when we talk about the crossing part, the actual action to produce connection rather than a focus on dwelling on the chasm. And when we talk about it, you said, oh, what if I interview this person and this person and this person? And these are people that are actually doing things that create movement most often in communities or some region, not globally. And, uh, and that excites me because I think that's where the specificity will come in is that if our focus on these series of episodes is the connection piece, the people you're talking to may produce ideas that can be incorporated or adapted to here in the Flagstaff area, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and that is the most exciting part for me, honestly, because mm-hmm. I, I love the way you just said that. My mind is being clarified all the time in conversation with you two on these issues as well. It's not like I have, I don't know everything. I don't have a blueprint it's actually through conversation and connection that these sort of ideas emerge and our worldviews change mm-hmm. and excitement emerges. Mm-hmm. That's what's so cool. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm really hopeful for about this podcast is to make that happen through interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, that may be helpful too, is to just specify, yeah, what to expect from this. So it is going to be vague and nebulous to some degree. Um, but yeah, what we've talked about thus far, it sounds like you do have plans to interview people. Yeah. So I, I, this is the part that I'm a little bit unclear on because it can go <laughs> in so many different directions, yeah. but at the same time, I mean, I just been talking with you two, I give you some examples. There's a lot of really interesting work going on, on thinking about new kinds of economic systems. And so there's mm-hmm. lots of groups and different entities in this country thinking about alternative economies. That is super exciting to me. Uh, there's a number of people thinking about ways in which we can think about housing quite differently, not just affordable housing, but re, really reshaping what we mean by housing, who has access to it, how we fund it, how it's organized. So housing, especially like in the Bay Area, super interesting. And I think, you know, the, the example of that one is really important, too, because that affects people's lived experience so fundamentally. That is really exciting. And the question is, can we do things differently, especially given that Flagstaff is a housing crisis, which many cities in the West do at the moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm really interested in talking to people who have experience in other countries. So I thought about interviewing some people from South America, for example, who are in, in conversation around new kinds of constitutions, new kinds of ways of organizing society, different priorities. Now, again, that might seem broad, but the the lived experience of people I think is quite important to understand. And so part of this is, it's not just about the topics. I want to have somebody talk about climate change, but I don't want to have just a climate scientist talk about climate change science. I want to hear about their own personal experience, their own lived experience, what they're thinking and seeing, what gives them inspiration. So part of this is finding people who have some sort of expertise or are working on something interesting. But fundamentally, what I'm really interested in is their lived experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah. So to bring it from, to look at the metrics and the numbers and the data and to hear these experts and then to also, to, to more prominently highlight what the lived experience is. For me, I think, yeah, that's going to be the cool part because then there may come the formulation of the more specific ideas for what do we do to take action here um, just from learning from others. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds right that you'll collect stories from a diverse population. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were talking, I mean, one thing I I would love to have, you know, a a refugee. I'd love to hear a refugee's perspective. Mm. 
to get a sense of what connection means for them in their experience coming to a new country, for example, or somebody who works with refugees um, who can speak to that, you know, something like that. I'm not sure we're going to have that on the episode, but but the point is those are the kinds of things. And again, I think the other part about this is from the listener perspective, I'm hoping that the podcast will create, again, new kinds of thinkings, but also compassion, empathy, connection in different ways that, Mm. yeah, might compel them to think differently, act differently, Again, not in good or bad, but just a way for us collectively to think about this chasm differently and the ways forward that can potentially materialize. Yeah, I think like we were saying earlier, just not harping on the chasm. Exactly. Yeah, just pointing the finger at it, but the idea that there's a lived experience and that we want to cross this thing and we want to practice crossing it. And so let's do that thing with the idea of a better uh, better future, a better lived experience, human and planetary flourishing or thriving. Yeah, and I just feel like we don't have enough of that. I mean, I think we have yeah. a plenty of the doom and gloom, a lot of the negativity. People are down and depressed. Yeah. And I don't want to, again, not to be naive, but I want to hear about people's lived experience, what they're doing, and in ways that are enriching. And that, to me, yeah. again, for personally personal reasons, is super exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fulfilling. I think, too, um, it'd be cool uh, to highlight something that I've experienced both in our dialogue and then here today recording is that um, I think I think it'll be really important that the tone of the show is actually to look at things. So if there's ever like um, some critical appraisal of something, it's actually not meant to be critical. It's actually meant to look at that thing and say, hey, this probably came from a value or a statement of if we do this, if we go this direction, it'll produce this benefit and maybe even a collective benefit. And then to look at it and say, did it do that? Like like the example of the phone. And so the key for the show is even if you look at pieces or elements of that chasm, is it's not meant to be uh, promoting some political idea or not. It's actually just looking at the thing and saying, what does this look like in practice? And is there any way to go about this? Is, is there another way? Yeah, I think of the Facebook like button, right? That same thing. Like, here's this thing that was created to do this thing, and then how is it actually operating? Yeah. What's it looking yeah. like in practice? Yeah. yeah. So what I hear you saying is highlighting that thing or yeah. shining it, shining the light on it a little bit. I think you and I have a plan to go do a series on social media, so I won't go too far into this, but yeah. like right with the whistleblower thing, the algorithm change that happened on Facebook in 2018 was actually meant to reduce polarization and to create news feeds that led to, um, they actually wanted to have it so their family members and their friends would show up more on the news feed rather than sources outside of that. But the outcome of it was that it actually led to more political um, news on their news feed and an increase in polarization. And they have data showing all of that. For some reason, they kept yeah. all that data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad they didn't have the accidental warehouse fire, huh? <laughs> the accidental, uh, what do they call those? Those farms, or te- technology oh, farms, yeah. just go up in flames. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Brian, I think we're reflecting back. This is kind of how we see it. And are you seeing that same thing? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I just, again, I really love this conversation about the intention and the intention is really about connection in different ways. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, there will be some shows probably that have some dark sides to it. Sure. But in the end, it's all about another way forward. And that was one of the conversations we had about a different title potentially, but is there another way forward? And really it's not again, a blueprint. It's really just thinking about 
potentialities. What could we do? What are options? And hopefully that will be inspiring and fulfilling for people to hear about and, and, and maybe, you know, again, change their perspective and hopefully ameliorate some of the negativity in society. Yeah. For me, if I were to give you one thing with this show, it would be exactly that. Like the thing that you're imagining, right? It would be as Dan and I sort of step away from it and you lead this is that you would be able to increase that connection, that you'd be able to fulfill that idea of, um, human and planetary flourishing to these conversations and sort of spurn and encourage people to, to do the same in their own lives. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I've got big shoes to fill. You all have an outstanding podcast, obviously. <laughs> Professionals in every way. Uh, we, the, the, apparently, our podcast was the first podcast Brian's ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is funny, whatever. Our automatic response is always just to laugh, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, we uh, just laugh. We know what it is. Yeah, we know what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. The thing, too, is, man, this is so process-centered, and I feel like I've already been super process-centered, but, um, you know, in our dialogue, I actually feel that energy building and collecting, and that's the thing you're talking about. And so, for me, as as you continue to produce these Crossing the Chasm-specific series episodes, um, it'll be looking at the outcome to say, like, yeah, is this producing that energy? Is this producing ideas for another way forward? Is this... Um, contributing to building network and connection because that's the goal. And so we'll want to reassess in an ongoing way and look at the process. Um, and maybe hopefully we'll model that for the rest of America. <laughs> that's my <laughs> one cynical yeah. statement. Fingers crossed. I made yeah. it or we created a light button and all of a sudden everyone's <laughs> yeah, depressed. Yeah. yeah, I made it 53 minutes in without. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Not bad. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the hope for it all. Well, we, we, you began by expressing gratitude, and I said we're appreciative that you continue to answer our emails. And genuinely, we're so happy to uh, have you be willing to take hold of this opportunity to interview people and talk about something that for Cody and I um, is so important, important and poignant. So thank you, Brian. Well, thank you both. I'm excited about it. I hope the listeners like it. We're going to have a basically a monthly show. We'll see where it goes. Love to hear feedback, but I'm excited about it. Cool. All yeah, right. we're excited as well. See where it goes, huh? Yeah. Let it ride. Let it ride. Hashtag let it ride. Let it ride. Let it ride.